Hello and welcome to Mums Work and Chaos with me, Louise. They say it takes a village to raise a child, so let me help you build yours. During this journey, I'll be learning about everything from neurodiversity in children's literature through to body image post-pregnancy. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of Mums Work and Chaos with me, Louise. Today I'm joined by Charlotte. She's a speech therapist um, and yeah, she's just fabulous. So Charlotte, can you introduce yourself? Hi, so nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Louise. Um, I'm Charlotte and I am speech therapist and founder of Speech Therapy with Charlotte. Um, so I am a, yeah, I'm a speech and language therapist and I work to support children's communication skills. But with my um, project, Speech Therapy with Charlotte, I'm really looking at primarily supporting parents who are waiting for speech therapy appointments for their kids, because we know that there's lots of kids who need help at the moment and not enough therapists to offer that help, unfortunately, at the moment. Um, there's so many families who are getting in touch to say that they're waiting for speech therapy and they don't know what to do. And they're feeling frustrated and worried and a bit helpless and um, overwhelmed. And I'm a parent, too, so I can completely understand and relate to that. So I really just want to kind of be able to provide information to educate and empower parents so that they feel confident that they know how to support kids, particularly if they're waiting for speech therapy. Those parents can feel like they're not just like sitting around waiting and actually using that waiting time productively. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like COVID affected us in, you know, all sorts of ways, but I've also found that like we're now behind with waiting for, for speech therapy for my eldest, she's seven, um, she's in year two. Um, originally it was brought to my attention when she was in nursery um, that we should seek help. Um, she was born with posterior tongue tie as were my other two. Um, so I'm just waiting to to see how their speech and language develops as, as they grow. Um, but she's got that classic sort of noise when she pronounces S words. Um, and so we originally went to the session, everything was sort of looked at, they got her to pronounce certain words, but she was, how old was she? She was three, nearly four when we went. And so certain sounds she hadn't even developed yet. Uh, so it's really difficult to judge that, isn't it? And um, that was the February. Then we went into COVID lockdown and she couldn't have her July appointment because they weren't doing in-person or even video appointments at that time. Mm -hmm. So um, we brought it to the school's attention in reception when she joined school. Um, and again, they have been monitoring the situation, but not really giving me any updates, um, which is frustrating we're currently going through an ADHD um, referral for her. Um, and as part of that, I then brought to the Senko's attention about her speech and language um, and whether she felt that it needed attention. To which she informed me she was already monitoring the situation, but that speech and language therapy was so um, uh, oversubscribed in the area because the teams had been depleted so heavily throughout the COVID situation, uh, you know, due to re retirements and maternity leave and not being able to hire people into NHS positions. Um, it just meant that the waiting lists were ridiculous, considering that there was like a two year wait on top because of the COVID issue anyway. Um, so she's now finally been referred they opened up their uh, their referrals again uh, recently 
but it it seems that they're now playing catch up so I'm I'm in that situation I'm a, a waiting mum um and you know trying to navigate that and I think as well on top of like you know your usual mental load duties of emptying dishwasher doing the laundry making sure they actually get to the dentist uh, and everything else searching the interwebs for information and help about um, speech and language is just like another thing on top so being able to find a professional like yourself on um, you know Instagram being able to find your podcast which is amazing because it's so quick and easy to digest as well um, it just makes life so much easier so personally for me it's been really really helpful um you know just your podcast is so is it's in those bite-sized chunks isn't it so they're like not anything more than sort of 15 15 minute episodes aren't they just so parents like myself have the actual time to (laughs) to find the information that we need that's the whole premise of the podcast actually so it's called just three things and it's sort of like 10 to 15 minute episodes um with i'm just taking a question from a parent and answering with just three things that you can do because I think that as well as you know you said like searching through the internet not really knowing what's good quality advice what you should Mm. be doing but also sometimes there's too much advice and actually if you're feeling overwhelmed already and you don't know where to start there might be 10 things that you can do but actually if we're just starting with three then that's maybe a bit more achievable and as I said you know I'm a parent too and there's definitely times where I'm in the same position not not knowing what I'm meant to do about something and actually it's hard to know where to start and um think yeah I just want to simplify the process for everyone it's a it's a real it's a labor of love this for me you know I've worked in the NHS for more than 14 years and I did leave at the end of 2021 so I'm just uh, like almost 18 months into working for myself so this is sort of my way to still continue to like give give back yeah no it's 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 really difficult and with all the budget cuts within the NHS and and everything as well it it must be a really difficult decision to to have to make to to actually leave so that you can you know pursue something that's going to be I don't know more beneficial in the long run to your to your own family and your own living situation you know we're we're all suffering from the cost of living crisis at the moment (laughs) and and unfortunately NHS pay just doesn't necessarily cut it anymore which is insane um but yeah um I digress (laughs) um so I suppose really like I'll I'll gag in first like our our listeners have have sent questions in but um (laughs) but since I've already given the intro into into our own situation um I guess really like when when we went for that first assessment we were sort of told that it's really difficult to diagnose a child with a lisp before now I remember it this way but tell me if I'm wrong before the age of nine um and their reasoning behind it was that um their adult teeth haven't fully grown in um and they've got more space sort of at the back of the jaw for their tongue to lie flat and make that noise and so it's difficult to assess whether a child has actually officially got a lisp before that age but then equally you sort of have to start doing something about it earlier on um because after that age it's difficult to 
to then get them out of <laughs> the lisp in the first place. So it's sort of a catch-22 situation at that point, isn't it? I can see that that's really confusing. Yeah. So there's a few things that I want to kind of pick apart there. So I get lots of questions um, from people using this word lisp. Mm. Um, and I think people use the word lisp to mean lots of different things. And lisp isn't really a technical term. It's not It's not a word as a speech therapist that we tend to use. We might use the phrase interdental lisp, which is specifically when you have your tongue coming out um, between your teeth. Mm. Um, lots of young children do that one you'd have seen it like sausages rather than sausages um yeah. but really when we're thinking about kind of speech sound differences we um are thinking of kind of other other things that might go on so some of the things that you might have heard of are things like um oral or verbal dyspraxia we might be thinking about um just like a speech sound delay some people use that terminology to, to say that the kids are using sounds that we typically see of a slightly younger child um also kind of in terms of medical terminology there is also this idea of like speech sound disorders where they're not following that typical pattern of development but the word lisp I think it isn't really a kind of medical term or a term that speech therapists would use so in terms of like the age at which you'd expect that to to resolve I would find that one difficult to quantify because yeah. it's not a it's not something that we use um I think something that's really important because and it, I talk about this a lot in episode one of my podcast so do go to that if you want a bit more but um we need to also kind of go back to thinking about speech and language skills as like a complete um a complete picture so as parents particularly parents who aren't speech therapists I appreciate that's not me <laughs> we tend to notice whether or not our children are talking or not talking or maybe not using as many words as the other kids their age or how clear and smooth their speech is, whether they're pronouncing the words correctly, and often we can see if they're stuttering or stammering. Um, but actually, there's they're just like the tip of the iceberg, if you like. There's lots of kind of other skills going on below the surface. So things like the way that they're interacting socially with other people, whether they've got any kind of attention and listening needs, whether we need to support their concentration, whether they understand what other people are saying. Um, whether or not they've got the vocabulary and whether they understand different grammatical structures, they're all things that we need to look at and potentially work on first before we'd actually address things like speech sound difficulties. Because when young children start to talk, they're, they're, their speech is not as clear as adults. So yeah. young children do things to make the words easier to say. So you'll know if you've got a young child or if you've had a young child that when they started talking, perhaps you could understand what they were saying, but other people couldn't. And that's because they don't have that full repertoire of speech sounds. And it's usually through practice talking that that becomes clearer. So if you imagine you're learning to play tennis, for example, you might start off try, just trying to hit the ball with the racket. And then gradually you're going to be hitting the ball across the, the net to the other side and then when you're like a bit more of a pro you're actually going to be like making calculated decisions about exactly where you're aiming for that ball to hit on the other side of the tennis court yeah. and that's the same with speech sound development you know you're starting off and you're just giving it a go and then as you get talking and you do more practice then you're really thinking about how to move the articulators in different ways so in terms of the speech sounds mm. what we really need to think about is um whether or not a child needs any support in any other areas first as well so that's where it is really helpful to actually get an assessment from a speech therapist so I would always try and say to people if you're feeling unsure as to like where your child's difficulty is even if you're told by everyone that it's impossible to get a speech therapy referral 
still try to get one because yeah. I think sometimes people are like, oh, there's no point. We're going to be waiting for ages, um, including, unfortunately, sometimes schools, childcare settings. Maybe they've been told there's no point in trying to refer. But actually, there's often ways that parents can refer themselves, their own children to speech therapy. So I would like go straight to the horse's mouth, if you like. I would um, like do an Internet search for speech and language therapy in the town in which you live and see what comes up because there might be a way for you to contact the speech and language therapy service directly and even if you do have to wait two years which definitely isn't the case in every part of the country mm. um you're on the list you know if you well, yeah. you need to get a specialist assessment sometimes that's why speech and language therapy exists so you do need to do that bit but on top of that there are other things that you can be doing at home and in school to support these kids and again I think like because we're all overwhelmed as parents and teachers we know that they're really overworked as well sometimes there's this just like oh well we've done the referral like let's park that for a bit and actually no there are lots of things that both as parents and and educators you could be doing in the day-to-day that could make a huge difference to child speech and language development it's funny isn't it because it is from my own experience it's more getting into the routine of like list, actually actively listening to the way your child is pronouncing words. Because as you said, as parents, we tend to understand our kids more than other people would um, if they're pronouncing things slightly differently or or not necessarily hitting that exact sound. Um, so I, I have that at the moment with my three-year-old. She's, her um, her language, her vocabulary is really expanding exponentially at the moment. She's She's chatting a lot with her older sister. Um, she's chat- very chatty at nursery as well. Um, and she's become more vocal, a lot more vocal at home. Um, <laughs> you know, she's the middle child. She needs to be heard. Um, so, um, but she's she's really starting to try and have those like active conversations with you as well. And so she'll like, come up to me in the morning and she'll be like, oh, mummy, I love your top. <laughs> and, you know, That's things so like that. Um that you know we're, we're sort of finding that she's saying things to certain people um like my mum or or other relatives that she doesn't see as often um and and they're like oh what what did she say and I remember going through this exact thing with my eldest as well you know um where where people didn't necessarily understand everything that she said either um but when when we went through our the beginnings of our speech and language sort of journey with our eldest, we were able to access um, speech and language help through a walk-in centre, mm-hmm. um, through a walk-in session at our local community centre. So again, it's it's worth it's worth checking, um, searching the internet and seeing like what your local council even offers because that session yeah. was completely free. Um, we had the beginnings of an assessment to um then see how she progressed over the next six months to then see whether she could then have a referral unfortunately as as I said previously all of that fell apart due to covid um but she's since been referred by the school so clearly they think that she needs a little bit of extra help um in certain areas but it's I find as well, like asking her about her school day or, you know, we have to read with her a couple of times a week as well outside of school. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even like sitting there and listening to her read, um, you can sort of like catch um, when she's mispronounced a word or at the moment she's she's going through that 
phase that all the kids in her class are going through of adding ed to the end of everything I asked I wrote it I did <laughs> you know I did this I climbed up this thing <laughs> so um you know sort of at the moment a lot of our time is sort of like catching her adding this ed, added ed to the end of words and, and correcting that as well and getting her to repeat that um back to us to make sure that she, <laughs> she's not adding this extra you know um so with this because there, there'll be things throughout your children's development when they're learning a new thing that they sort of we, we call it over generalization they'll learn she's just learned that there's this rule that you add ed on to the end of things yeah um but unfortunately english language is really complicated and not everything follows the rules so that's you know where you get these things so there'll be things like this that come up again and again and the most important thing for children's language learning and development is that they're regularly taking part in good quality interactions. And that's really important because we want to build them into confident communicators. So um, we want to be trying to listen attentively. And I know you were saying, Louise, like that's really hard because we've already got this like mental load. We're doing this juggle. So what I really try and recommend, and I know this in itself feels like a lot for some people, is having like five minutes a day of one-on-one -on -one time with your child. And yeah. it doesn't have to be to do any particular activity, but it's where you're actually doing that. You know, you were saying listening to what your child is really saying. Yeah. So if you can have five minutes of like, right, this is now this child's time, I'm going to actually respond kind of positively and and, and really listening to what they're saying, because that really helps to build their sense of worth as well. And like that you're really listening and you value what they're saying. But when they're doing those, whether it's... Um, mispronouncing a speech sound or making a grammatical error what I would recommend is that you kind of like repeat back what they've said giving the correct model because then you're showing them that you listened yeah. and you're just modeling it for them but I wouldn't actually recommend like stopping the conversation telling them they've got it wrong and getting them yeah. to repeat that to you because that disrupts the flow of conversation and can be a bit frustrating particularly if you're really trying hard to like learn a new skill or learn a new thing actually it's really annoying when you're in the middle of trying to say something and then somebody's interrupting you to be like it's not rotated it's yeah. You say right <laughs> well, yeah that's generally the way we we do it so um it, that that was another thing that we sort of like um you know have come across with her as well is that as as part of the whole adhd thing as well being interrupted means you lose your your mental flow as it were and so you're if you're interrupted during that thought process <laughs> you then get quite frustrated because then you're like well I was talking about something and what was I talking about um oh, oh yes. yes I was talking about unicorns where did I get to in this <laughs> element of the conversation about unicorns I can't remember now and it's that's that break is frustrating and so generally if she said something that isn't quite right I'd be like oh so so you walked to the you know you walked to the climbing frame with Tilly and Nushi oh okay fantastic that's that's brilliant that's then great. what happened um yeah. and so it's trying to like yeah like as exactly as you said you know add add the correction into the into the conversation without necessarily saying oh no it's not Ed exactly. at the end of that it's this you know exactly so. that's perfect and it's a really subtle difference I just wanted to like point that out because yeah. it's quite subtle and I think that the two things can get confused but they're actually quite different and have quite a different outcome for a child so the difference is just to model it once more for anyone who's listening and feeling a bit confused she said I I 
wrote it down on that piece of paper that I wanted a unicorn. Yeah. So what not to do would be like, no, you didn't wrote it down. You wrote down. Can you say wrote? Say it back to me. Okay. Yeah. What you do want to do is, oh, wow, you wrote it down. That's cool. And then, yeah, then what happens? You know, like you're just showing that you're listening. You're modeling the correct pronunciation or the correct grammatical use. And then you're moving on. And it's through that, that constant modeling that children are going to learn. Yeah, I, I know that being interrupted myself, I find that really frustrating and um, and that change of tack as well. Conversation like throws me off, too. So I, I try and avoid it as much as possible. Um, and then uh, another thing that my husband and I do is on the on the weekends, you know, if we have to do a bit of a top up shop, uh, food shop, um, he'll he'll take one or two of them. And then I'll be left with one or two. Um, and then that does generally afford us the time to have like a more in-depth conversation and and for whichever child the other one has <laughs> to have, have that extra time with us. Um, so, you know, we we do try and, and have individual time with them. Like even during the week is, is fairly difficult um, because of nursery, coming home from nursery, bedtime, tea time, all of that stuff. But generally, we collect our eldest from school, have a couple of hours with her before the younger ones come home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, you know, she has that sort of like in between time with us as well, um, yeah. where we can, you know, do some reading or spend some time with her, which is fabulous. Um, and I think that that also sort of like helps with, you know, being able to express herself more freely I guess and and explain you know situations that might be frustrating to her at at school or you know things that she's experienced like one of our listeners has sent in a question saying like she's struggling with getting her child to express how they're feeling um, necessarily she has a poster with emotions on but she does end up with her child uh, her child would end up more likely growling or clenching their teeth instead of actually explaining why they're frustrated. And, you know, personally, I'd say having that extra sort of like, if they can afford to do it, having that little extra bit of one-on-one time with that particular child would help, wouldn't it? Um, But do you have any advice around that? Yeah, I think on that one-on-one time, I love the example that you've given there of like dividing and conquering and taking one of the kids shopping and and, and not the others. Um, because it's sometimes it takes a bit of planning to work out how you could possibly have this one-to-one time, particularly if you've got more than one cut, one child, um, particularly if there's there's not more than one of you, parents, co-parents, adults. Um, but it's those little moments. And even if you can only do it once a week, that is still something like that is great and I think like my one-to-one times are often um you know getting getting the kids dressed because I happen to do that a bit more like when I'm just in what mm. in the, the room with one of them getting them dressed and then I'll just try and like mindfully be really responsive during that one-on-one time um so that's just a little one-on-one time um I saw this question from this person as well and um I think I just wanted to address it I think that the question was specifically about um getting them to verbally express she wanted them to verbally express their emotions and I just kind of wanted to talk that through a bit because Mm. when any of us are stressed or feeling experiencing heightened emotions which actually can be 
positive, you know, like those emotions that we think of as positive things like excitement, joy, that sort of thing. Those are heightened emotions as well. And actually, when any of us are experiencing any sort of heightened emotions, it can be really difficult for us to actually kind of do all sorts of things, learn, develop, grow, um, but equally communicate and express ourselves. Mm. So in that moment, it's very hard to use your rational brain. sometimes you need to like think about it more at points of calm so one thing I would say is if you're wanting to develop kind of like emotional vocabulary firstly the best thing that you can do is by modeling use of that sort of vocabulary yourself so talking about like oh I'm feeling happy I'm feeling sad that sort of thing using your own emotions or labeling what you can see other people are feeling although emotions are a bit subjective so I might incorrectly label to my daughter I can see you're really sad and she actually might be angry so it's a bit of a tricky one to model so I would say start off with modeling your own emotions um but do it at a point of calm so actually often talking about it in the moment for your child particularly if they're experiencing those heightened emotions what you really need to focus on at that moment is just regulating and like getting back to that point of calm and then you can maybe explore the vocabulary around it at a different time probably in the moments not the right time because your brain is just kind of functioning on kind of like survival at that time um it so tough, this person it? said that they had a poster which sounds like it's maybe like pictures of different um emotions and i think that that is um a really good one what we tend to do is um have the visuals available somewhere like on the fridge that the kids can access and then just when we're kind of really focusing on developing emotional vocabulary we'll make it part of our daily routine so maybe yeah. like either in the morning or after school we'll all visit the poster and say like how we're feeling in that moment and then you again you can use it as an opportunity to model and if you've got other adults present other kids present then you all get the chance to model and often when kids start off doing that they'll get it wrong you know like they'll point to the picture of sad and you can see that they're really excited so you might say oh you're feeling sad it looks to me like you feel excited so you can just kind of explore those sorts of things yeah but it it is a kind of a process and I would say just in response to that verbally expressing your emotions that is something that's really hard for adults as well it's it's not necessarily something that's going to come easily and of course you can work towards that but I think I really am a fan of what we call total um, total communication which means knowing that all communication is valid and actually if you can teach some Makaton signs for different emotions if you can have access to this poster on the fridge for different emotions and maybe use some words sometimes, but your child knows that it's acceptable that they can express themselves in whatever way. I feel like that functional communication is more of the goal than actually just being able to say the words. It's funny, isn't it? Because yeah, like like you said, it is. It's even difficult for adults to work out how they're feeling. And um, you know, I um, I I see a therapist. I've mentioned that on the podcast before. And one of the things that um, we we had to address fairly early on in our sessions was exactly how I was feeling about certain things and working out that you know some something that I was actually um expressing as guilt was in fact shame Mm -hmm. and and knowing the difference even the intricacies and differences between those two specific emotions was was quite um an interesting one so Mm -hmm. you know getting a child to verbally describe how they feel anyway is is difficult when you know you can muddle up 
those two specific emotions as an adult as well you know so like um my oldest um if she feels that she's done something wrong um will you know take herself away and and I can now I know because I've been there as as a child myself having you know found out that I probably have ADHD myself is that this you know huge emotional swell is probably actually shame that she did the thing in the first place um and and she even expresses herself as feeling guilty about you know having um got frustrated and and shouted at her sister or or whatever um Mm. and so you know I can now help her express that feeling slightly differently um but one thing we don't have is is a poster of emotions up in the house and but my sister-in-law does and so actually um I think that's probably something that we'll happily implement so that the younger two can can really express the way they're feeling as well so you know it sounds like this particular listener is you know already on the right path it's just you know actually being able to spend maybe a bit more time and 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 have that chance for for understanding and and really discussing and opening up about the way yeah. they're feeling so think, yeah just to summarize like kind of the top points there I think um continue to like model your own emotions and maybe yeah. use the poster as part of a routine mm. like, solve the emotions that your child has felt but maybe after the event rather than in the moment focus yeah. just on kind of regulation in the moment um and then maybe not putting speech and expressive communication on a pedestal and actually just accepting that if your child's able to use any form of communication to express themselves then that that's great yeah no fantastic um we had another question in didn't we charlotte um from one of our listeners and that was um at what age can they realistically and accurately judge if a child is behind so I mean that's a very broad question because it could be is that child behind in sounds is that child behind in vocabulary um but I mean it seemed to me from our initial assessment when Usla was three that actually it's it's you know you've got those sounds that are sort of like plotted um according to to even younger ages as well um aren't there so um I'm guessing it's actually um sort of like fairly easy to tell from quite early on yeah so it's a great question and there's lots to kind of unpick in there I think um firstly I just want to address the word behind you know I find it really difficult to to think of you know these ideas of things being wrong and even you know in the the medical terminology within speech therapy we use the terms like difficulties and disorders and that sort of thing and actually like I really prefer to use the term difference um you know I'm quite um you know um neurodiversity affirming you know like thinking about things following different uh, a different pattern of development so I would I I feel more comfortable saying like we can see if things are following maybe a different pattern of development really early on actually because when we're thinking about um, kind of speech and language differences as I mentioned before we're thinking about lots of things including like social interaction skills and it is possible um with some young babies that we might notice that they are not um turning their head to hear sounds that they're not maybe focusing on 
people's faces and actually most babies do those things in the first few months of life they're not doing things like maybe smiling um yeah. and then babies tend to coo initially which is those open bow sounds like Wah. and then later on they start to babble ma 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 ba 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 and then um children um tend to say their first words huge variation on this but somewhere between 10 and 15 months so really if children aren't meeting all of those early milestones then it's an indication that their speech and language is following a different pattern of development. Um, and there may be local variation at like a minimum age in which you can make an onward referral to speech and language therapy. You'd have to go to your local speech and language therapy team to see that. But also you'll have seen, of course, in the media, you know, the importance of early intervention and supporting children when they're young because their brains are still developing. So for me, I... I, I could see if a child's following a different pattern of development from very early age, um, yeah. you know, pre one, I, I could notice that. And when I'm saying that, like, I, I think people then panic, well, I can't get a speech therapy referral, but early invent, early intervention includes all, all sorts of positive um, uh, support. So that includes parents thinking, oh, I think that my child might be following a slightly different um, pattern of development here. Why don't I educate myself as to what I can be doing at home? Why don't I make sure I have this one-to-one -one time with my child? Because they might need it more than some other kids. Why don't I start using um, additional visuals around the house? Because my, my, ch my child might need that more than some other kids. So it's a case of just, you know, like thinking about what you can be doing within like the scope of what you've got. If your child's going to nursery or childcare or uh, school, I'm going to actually proactively go and say to them, I think that there's something going on here. What can we do about it? Can we make a plan? And this is all covered in like the bite-sized bits of my podcast. It's a lot yeah. to kind of think about all at once. But, you know, I think you, you've touched on already, Louise, that as a parent, you often have to be a bit of an advocate and it can be really overwhelming, particularly um, if you don't really know what you're talking about. It can be a bit intimidating, but we've oh. got to use the resources that we have. And so, you know, in I think it's episode three, I talk about why I recommend that you share information with your child's school. And that involves things like, write yourself a list on your phone of the things that you want to share the things that you want to tell them the things that you want to ask them um and also make sure that you I think you were on a, another live Louise actually where I discussed this and you were saying this is really helpful for me yes. like actually get them to agree to an action plan if that action is that they say that they just want to wait and see or monitor for a bit you say okay how long are you going to monitor for when are we going to meet again it's funny my my mum was a primary school teacher for like 40 years you know um and she would always go even like to doctor's appointments with like a little notepad so when the doctor was saying like you know how often to take the antibiotics or you know what what steps to take next she'd write notes because she was always like you're you're in this situation it's it's out of your comfort zone you're not the subject matter expert they are <laughs> and you've somehow got to retain this information so by taking notes it means that I could refer back to it and know and remember you know yes okay it says how many times to take the antibiotics on the label but you know they might have given you like a little hint or a tip or said yeah. you know stick it in a glass of squash or whatever to make it taste more palatable um and so she was like I always take a notepad and I think that was one of the things that really threw me off on my first parents evening was literally you have not even 10 minutes with this class teacher. The session before was probably overrun. You're already 10 minutes late because the, 
everything's running late anyway mm. um, and then you've got to quickly dissect your child's you know progress over the course of the last six months in not even 10 minutes mm. so yeah like like you said you know by going with a list of questions or even going with a notepad so you can write down what what they're saying about your child and refer back to it and report back to your partner who wasn't able to come with you probably um it it means that you know it, in that really weird focused time you can actually like properly communicate your concerns and and take down theirs um and yeah that honestly that piece of advice was so helpful for me because the amount of sort of like I've had a couple of phone calls with the Senko and a lot of them have sort of been like off the cuff telephone calls that have just sort of come out of nowhere no particular appointments been booked um and so you know making sure that I had a notepad near me so that I could write down what she was saying the advice she was giving and and things like that was really helpful because it meant that I could dissect that and look back over it with my partner later on um but it's it's really difficult isn't it when you're not the subject matter expert and all of a sudden you've got to learn about all these new things that you didn't even think (laughs) you had to learn about like um Kat Sim said on our on on our podcast um a couple of weeks ago like she she said you know I I leave I leave the knowledge to the professionals I'm not a gynecologist I don't know about down there (laughs) Um, so I'll I'll seek out the help of a professional who understands what they're talking about so that you know I I'm not sitting there trying to just like make up my own mind about whatever I have to do next I'm talking to someone who actually understands the issue and has the experience um and I I think that's that's something that you know when we're brand new to parenting and you know a lot of the children's services have sort of fallen off a cliff as it were as well um it it means that we don't necessarily know where to go um or what to do next and you know that's the point of both of our podcasts is people can find you and, and learn about your speech therapy uh, you know about speech therapy and what to do while they're waiting but the the whole point and whole premise of this one was so people could go find the information without being judged have a safe space to learn about the the thing that they needed to learn about and honestly I think like this particular episode is going to be so helpful for a number of people who are listening today who are are struggling with you know knowing what to do next or even accessing the services in the first place um, yeah. it's it's just a tricky minefield isn't it trying to work out yeah. what to do so in episode two of my podcast that's about like the referrals that's a really useful one if you're not really sure who you need to be referred to how you're going to go about doing that because it is a bit of a minefield and I know Louise when we were chatting before you said that you um didn't even know what a Senko was before so if anybody's been listening to that chat and thinking what is a Senko special Mm. educational needs coordinator each school should have one and they take to they tend to take like that liaison role between um families and just have an overview of any of the kids in the school who need any additional support and know kind of either what they're doing any on referrals they're making what they're doing within the school what they're recommending parents should be doing so they're a great person to liaise with um and i think i would i think yeah some i did an, a whole episode about like why i think it's good to share information because i've had so many parents recently saying to me and I wonder if you were in this position, Louise, that um, 
they were they they just you know they thought there was something going on with their child but they wanted to see if the school was going to mention it to them yeah um and I I get that I do but also the, there's a lot of kids usually in a school um and kids don't present the same as they do at home often particularly if they're new in school and there's a class of 30 kids it, they might just be quite shy and quiet and then that teacher's not necessarily going to know the full extent of their communication skills so if you've yeah. got information about your child that you think might be beneficial to the school I really would urge you to share and not sit around and wait and then it means also that you don't get into the situation that you're in now Louise where you're like oh I think that there might be something going on and they're like yeah yeah we know it's like yeah. you're gonna tell that, me no like just open up says, like I'm here I'm ready for it I want to do something for, I want to be proactive if you're telling me that something's different that's okay like let's just do something about it let's not just yeah. sit and wait well we so with the whole speech and language thing I did bring it up when she started in reception they said they'd keep an eye on it but they didn't they weren't doing home visits for um for new starters to the school anymore um it was all done over the telephone and so I was at work <laughs> when when this phone call happened and again it was literally like a 10 minute call to quickly introduce the two teachers who would who would be teaching the class and and all of that sort of stuff and again because it was a a, a a job share environment it meant that one teacher saw them for three days a week and the other saw them for two and so they weren't getting like a prolonged amount of time with one particular teacher who would monitor them and, and make sure everything was okay um and so although she had been raised to the senko it um you know as we know speech and language was um uh, thoroughly underserved anyway within our community at least um and so it meant that you know she was being monitored by the senko but i wasn't hearing anything about it um and then when she started in year one about halfway through year one i get oh i've had to move her to um another place in the class um she was just get she was just being too chatty with the person she was sat next to right okay oh, i've had to move her again because um she's now sitting next to this person because she was being too chatty with this person um and then my sister was going through her own issues with her son at school, finding out that he was presenting very typical boy ADHD sort of like behaviours. <laughs> so he'd been flagged by the Senko, you know, he's he's, um, uh, you know, typical ADHD. We're going to look at getting him a referral. Um, whereas my daughter was chatty. She was very engaged in certain subjects, completely not taking part or or paying attention in others um she'd if she'd been sat for too long she'd need to have a little dance break around the classroom but because she wasn't throwing pencils at people or being directly abusive or whatever it meant that she wasn't flagged as a behavioral issue it wasn't flagged as a behavioral issue and because it wasn't flagged as a behavioral issue they didn't see it as any sort of sign of adhd at all um and so it meant that I then had to advocate for her as, you know, like during my research to help my sister learn more about ADHD in children anyway, I stumbled upon the signs of ADHD in girls. Mm. And that's when I started to go, oh, <laughs> OK, well, this is me. And Asla does these things as well. And mm. so it meant that. I could then, I was more knowledgeable. I spent the time learning 
to then be able to advocate on her behalf and honestly that's what takes most of the time as parents isn't it you know we're, we're working full-time we're running the house we're looking after the children's social calendar as well as our own um, and then on top of that we're expected to to learn about all of these things um as well and her class teacher um sort of wasn't aware of the signs of ADHD in girls and these complaints from the same teacher continued into year two um and so she's she's been lucky enough to have the same teacher across year one and year two which has meant that the teacher's then been able to go oh actually <laughs> yeah I now recognize these as signs because I've also done my homework to to work out if this is a possibility but previous to that she hadn't logged it as a behavioural issue. She hadn't seen it as being disruptive necessarily to the class, although she was being disruptive because she was being too chatty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hadn't raised the idea of her having ADHD to the Senko. So it was actually my responsibility to to raise that as yeah. a potential issue with the school. So that I think fun. that I think it is a hard one because as a parent, you sometimes just feel like, you know what, enough. There's, there should be a professional here to deal with this but then actually at the end of the day no one knows your child better than you and no one is as invested in your child as you so the reality reality of it is that we do need to be our, our kids biggest advocates like we're the ones who are most invested in them um and you shouldn't have to do it alone it takes a village you know um <laughs> there are people out there even if it is me if you haven't got access to a speech speech therapist of your own come to me reach out to me listen to my podcast I can help but you'll need to do something too yeah so um I I always sort of guess that most of my listeners do actually follow um my Instagram account as well but you know as as you will probably know if you listen to the introduction episode of the podcast um you know my my sister and I were having this chat about what the village looks like what what that necessarily is now um and and the village has changed the village is different and the village is people like yourself um you know other professionals who are much more easy to access now that we have the existence of social media um but also like generally like the support network that you have with you know, mum friends from school and um, people you've met at god awful baby groups and so on. <laughs> so it's it's one of those things, isn't it? It's it's it, like I think that was the hardest thing for for us um, after we'd had children was working out that the village might not necessarily be close family members because you live too far away from them now. But um, it you know just as you know the saying goes you can you can't choose your family but you can choose your friends you can curate your own village it is possible and you know that that was the main premise of the podcast was to help mums of all ages and stages curate that village find the information that they need find the help that they need um and and be able to navigate whatever stage they are of parenting and or life really oh, so. I love that so much and that like as a parent I have needed that village so many times and 
if anyone is listening and wants me to be in their village, it would be just such a privilege because I feel like, you know, I have needed other people in my village. And if I can offer my expertise as a speech and language therapist to somebody who needs it, that, that is just so important. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Charlotte. Thank you so much for joining us today. And um, if you are in need of help, please do follow Charlotte on on Instagram. She's at Speech Therapy with Charlotte. Um, you can access her podcast from her Instagram account. Um, but um, if you do want to search for it, it's just three things. Um, I will also link to it um, in the bio for this podcast. So, you know, whatever device you're listening on, whatever app you're listening on, you'll be able to click the link and and access her podcast and her Instagram account from here as well. Um, and, you know, just honestly, guys, I really hope that this episode has helped you. I hope that you do follow Charlotte and that you do, um, you know, um, contact her, ask any questions that you might have post this episode um but um yeah thank you so much for joining me today it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you and to you thanks louise and good luck with everything with your kids thank you so much thank you if you enjoyed this episode of mum's work and chaos please make sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting channel you're listening on at the moment or if you'd like to get involved feel free to email me at mumsworkandchaos at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at mumsworkandchaos. See you then.